today's uh, scripture reading shall we all turn to ecclesiastes chapter 6 we read verses 1 to 12 there is an evil which i have seen under the sun and it is common among men a man to whom god has given riches and wealth and honor so that he lacks nothing for himself of all he desires yet god does not give him power to eat of it but a foreigner consumes it this is vanity and it is an evil affliction if a man begets a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many but his soul is not satisfied with goodness or indeed he has no burial i say that a stillborn child is better than he for it comes in vanity and departs in darkness and its name is covered with darkness <clears throat> though it has not seen the sun or known anything this has more rest than that man even if he lives a thousand years twice but has not seen goodness do not all go to one place all that labor of man is for his mouth and yet the soul is not satisfied for what more has the wise man than the fool what does the poor man have who knows how to walk before the living better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire this also is vanity and grasping for the wind whatever one is he has been named already for it is known that he is man and he cannot contend with him who is mightier than he since there are many things that increase vanity how is man the better for who knows what is good for man in life all the days of his vain life which he passes like a shadow who can tell a man what will happen after him under the sun shall we bow our heads in prayer gracious loving father we want to thank you for this time this opportunity uh, to be found in your presence once again through your lord it is such a privilege to be here to be in the in the presence of the uh, most high and living god this morning we want to commit ourselves before you as we are about to hear from your word we commit our brother ravent into your hands as he's uh, as he shares your word we pray o lord that you speak to all of us so that we might be edified and we might learn something o lord commit ourselves before you we pray that we might have uh, an open heart and a ear to listen and uh, we commit ourselves into your hands and ask the small prayer in the matchless name of our lord and savior jesus christ this is way taller than i am it's Is everybody looking serious? Can you all smile, please? <laughs> Even the visitors can smile. <laughs> right. The church is kind of sparsely populated today. I'll just try it once, okay? Okay. All right. So as is clear from the reading, we will be looking at Ecclesiastes 6 today, uh, the chapter in its entirety. You know, we all have heard of Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods, the professional golfer, who rose to the heights of professional golf 
at a very young age. And he made a lot of money and a lot of fame as well. And people saw him as a good guy with good morals and a perfect family guy as well. Until 2009, when his extramarital affair came out and his marriage ended up in a divorce. And he lost custody of all his children as well. Not just that, there were some other incidents and issues about his life that came out that caused him to lose lucrative endorsements as well as harmed his reputation. And now he's gone back into a therapy and he's trying to gain back his reputation and build back his career. That's one guy that I wanted to talk about as we begin with. On the other side, quite a contrast to him, was a Jewish psychiatrist uh, by the name of Viktor Frankl, a Jewish psychiatrist, and he was captured by the Nazi soldiers, and he was taken to Auschwitz in the concentration camp during the Second World War. He was stripped of everything that he had, property, family, and possessions. In fact, he was working on a manuscript for his book. Uh, He was uh, writing about how to find meaning in life in those days. And as he was researching on that topic and writing a manuscript, uh, out of fear that they would take away the manuscript as well, he had sewn the manuscript to the inside of his coat. But the fact of the matter is, the Nazis came and took away his coat and everything that he had, and he had very less clothing on his body. A couple of days later, the Nazis came and they gave him uh, some tattered piece of clothing, which was worn by another inmate who had been sent into gas chambers, and he died. And as he wore this ragged suit, he wanted to find something, or he was hoping that he would find his own manuscript that has come back to him. And as he put his hand in the pocket, he found a tattered piece of paper which he pulled out, and he read these words, Shema Israel, Yahweh Elohinu, Yahweh Ehad, Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one, and worship the Lord alone. And then he wrote these words. He said this. There is nothing in the world that would so effectively help one to survive even the worst of conditions as the knowledge that there is meaning to life. Did you hear that? There is nothing in the world that will help you survive even the worst of conditions, even the worst of ordeals in your life, like the knowledge that there is meaning in life. So once you understand that there is meaning in life, There's a purpose to life that God has put us here with a purpose. And then we can deal with any ordeal in life is what Viktor Frankl is saying. Now compare these two individuals that we talked about here. On the one hand, you had a man who was affluent. Uh, He garnered a lot of fan following. He made a lot of money. But the fact of the matter is he lost his right track and went on to something that is completely wrong. On the other hand, you have a man who is at the worst condition of his life, facing the worst ordeals of his life, and yet saying that it is possible to find meaning and be on the right track as well. So we have two questions at least coming up in our minds when we look at these two individuals to begin with. Does the understanding that life has meaning make such a difference to your life and mine? Does the understanding that life has meaning make a difference to your life and mine? Or better, is there something that I need to understand this morning for me to make the most of my life? Is there something that you need to understand and I need to understand this morning for us to make the most of our lives? 
the author of Ecclesiastes, has been talking about the meaning of life uh, right from chapter 1 and verse 1. And we've seen through all these chapters, we're in chapter 6 now, we've seen in the first five chapters that outside of God, Solomon has been saying that there is no meaning. It is impossible to find meaning outside of God. And Solomon is cutting us off from various escape routes that we may take to find meaning in life. And he's telling us all these escape routes will find meaninglessness at the end of it. And now, because when we pause and if we are living without God, no matter what satisfaction we are experiencing, we find that even that little satisfaction at the end of the road will lead us into despair and meaninglessness, and it will not answer the deepest questions of our life. And so he is bringing up before us the emptiness of our meaning and happiness apart from God in every quarter that we try to find it in. He is bringing up various aspects of our lives. And he is saying that all these are aspects of life that you try to enjoy and try to find meaning in life. But the fact of the matter is, those things cannot answer your deepest satisfaction or cannot bring deepest satisfaction to your life, cannot answer the deepest questions of your life. And so you, have, you must have God in your life. So today's passage will inform us three things that you and I need to understand. Three very simple things you and I need to understand to make the most of our life. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verses 1 through 12. Ecclesiastes 6, verses 1 through 12. Have you all turned there? All right. So in verses 1 through 6, you will see that possessions are meaningless when we don't have the power to enjoy them. Possessions are meaningless when we don't have the power to enjoy them. There is no satisfaction in life when God gives you everything but does not allow you to enjoy anything. Did you hear that? There is no satisfaction in life when God gives you everything but does not give you the power to enjoy what God has given you. And in trying to help us understand this particular fact, Solomon is giving us two facts here. Uh, Let's go one by one as we try and understand them. The first thing is that wealth does not guarantee its own enjoyment. Wealth does not guarantee its own enjoyment. Look at verses 1 and 2. There is an evil that I've seen under the sun. And it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It's a grievous evil. Solomon here is again returning to the theme of the person who acquires a lot of wealth, but he does not enjoy them. He's unable to enjoy them, and he's looking at this person who's unable to enjoy the wealth that he has, and he's despairing about it. And Solomon is saying that it is an enigma, it's a mystery, and his enigma and mysteries, they intensify as he, look at, as he looks at this person. Now notice the key phrase here in this verse. Solomon says, God does not give him the power to enjoy them. God has given him a lot of gifts, but he does not give him the power to enjoy them. This book, the book of Ecclesiastes, pounds home this lesson again and again. It talks about this over and over again, that enjoyment does not come with multiplied possessions. It must come from God. Just because we have a lot of possessions, just because God has given us much wealth and honor and power and all of that, does not automatically guarantee that we can enjoy them. Enjoyment comes separately. It comes from God. It's a gift of God and only something that God must give. And if he withholds it, no amount of effort can gain it. 
If he withholds it, no amount of effort can gain it. Now, the fact of the matter is, this is a very, very hard, lessons for each, uh, hard lesson for each of us to understand because we are constantly bombarded with commercials and catalogs that tell us that these are the products that give you satisfaction in life. These are the products that will uh, fulfill the deepest longings of your life. However, Solomon is saying this, that enjoyment must come from God alone. Not these products, not anything that God has given you. Albeit there is a fact that these are all good gifts given by God. But enjoyment separately must come from God alone. So God gives gifts, but God does not empower this person to enjoy these gifts. Why does not God empower this person to enjoy the gifts? Solomon does not tell us that in the text, but we can make an educated guess based on what uh, the answer might be. For example, you could think of a few reasons. It could be because, as we've seen in the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes, that things in and of themselves don't satisfy. And so this person is unable to enjoy all the good gifts, perhaps. Or this person has a disease, or it might have led to an early death, and that's why he could not enjoy uh, the good gifts that he had. The lack of enjoyment also could be because of additional responsibilities that the man had. Or it could also be because of the envy of his neighbors or, or his friends or other people that made him not enjoy the gifts that he had. Or it may be because the person died uh, much before he was able to enjoy the gifts that God had given him. In, in any case, this man was not given the power by God to enjoy the gifts that God himself has given. He couldn't enjoy any of them and he was discontent with his life. He was discontent with his life. Now, Starlet uh, uh, recently sent me a joke. Uh, he sent me a message. In fact, it was a message. He said, uh, I sent the same message to one million friends. If each of you would send me one dollar each, I'd become a millionaire in an instant. And then he said, uh, in response to that, I would send you a book that says how to become a millionaire. Now, that's a joke. But the fact of the matter is, a survey says this, that instant millionaires have just about the same level of satisfaction and enjoyment as accident victims. Did you hear that? Instant millionaires have just about the same level of satisfaction as accident victims. So story after story can be cited of people whose newfound fame and fortune have made them miserable people than they were when they actually didn't have something. So we must recognize that our possessions can never bring us lasting joy. The gifts that God gives us and the power to enjoy them, these are two separate things, but both of them come from God. Now, this is why in the story that we are talking about, uh, where this man is concerned, money could not guarantee any enjoyment for this man. And who enjoyed his wealth? Indeed, a stranger did a non-family member, somebody who didn't belong to him, somebody who was unknown to him, he came and enjoyed his wealth. And for Solomon, when he was looking at this man who had all the wealth he, ha he wanted to have, but God did not give him the power to enjoy, but somebody else came and enjoyed his wealth, when Solomon looked at his life, it was mysterious to him. It was enigmatic to him. And that's why he uses some of the strongest language possible in the entire book. He says, it's a grievous evil. It's a grievous evil. It's a terrible evil. That's the first thing that Solomon begins with. Secondly, Solomon says that children may cause you to die unsatisfied and unmourned as well. 
Children may cause you to die unsatisfied and unmourned. Look at verses 3 to 6. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. Notice the strong language that he is using here. Verse 4. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. Now Solomon here in these verses is describing for us a man who had a lot of wealth, but he didn't enjoy it, he saved it up for all for his children. And he was trying to save it up uh, all for his children, yet in return, his children did not even bother to give him an honorable burial. They had no regard for him. They did not give him an honorable burial, which was absolutely important in a Jewish custom. Burial was very important in a Jewish tradition. That's why a lot of rich people would buy tombs even before they die. An honorable burial meant or signified the kind of life that you lived. Now that this man did not have a burial, it meant that his life was miserable as well. He did not enjoy anything that he had. Now this man, this man, you see in these verses, had two of nature's fondest desires. Number one, he had a lot of children. And children are always a blessing from the Lord in the Bible. Number two, he had a long life. And that's, all, that's also a blessing in the Bible. He had a lot of children, he had a long life, and yet he could not enjoy anything in his life. He could not enjoy any good gift that God has given him in his life. And he ended up with a miserable end. He was not even given a proper burial here. The point is, it's not the length of life that matters. However long you live, in the end, you will go the way of all flesh. What is important is the quality of life. And life is meaningless unless it brings joy and satisfaction and happiness to each one of us seated here. Life is meaningless unless it brings joy and satisfaction and, and happiness to each, each one of us uh, that is seated here. A young corporal was once talking to Winston Churchill. And he went and told Winston Churchill, Sir, I want you to know that I'm a self-made individual. And Winston Churchill, in his own inimitable way, he looked at him and he said, Young man, you just relieved God of a very solemn responsibility. You've just relieved God of a very solemn responsibility because there is no such thing as a self-made man. You cannot be a self-made man ever because whatever good gift you have or you may enjoy is from God. And that includes power, honor, and wealth and all the good and perfect gifts that God gives. Now notice in verse 3, at the end of verse 3, Solomon makes a comparison here. It's a startling comparison. He says, a stillborn child is better off than he. Now remember, the person had a lot of children, and he lived for long. He died without a burial. And Solomon is saying, for such a man, when you compare such a man with a stillborn child, a stillborn child is better off than he. Why is that? Because a stillborn child, although it is born dead into the world, There are two reasons that Solomon gives that a stillborn child is better off than the person who didn't have a burial and enjoy his life as well. For one, Solomon says that although the stillborn child is born dead in the world, ultimately they both go to the same place in the end. 
And secondly, Solomon is also saying that at least the stillborn child has gone straight into the land of the dead, but this man had to go through a lot of miserable experiences with the stillborn, which the stillborn child didn't have to go through. And so the stillborn child is much better off than this man who had gifts and yet did not enjoy them and did not have a proper burial. So children may cause you to die unsatisfied and unmourned is what Solomon is saying. So in verses 1 through 6, Solomon is talking about the first enigma or first mystery that you and I need to understand. We need to look at this and understand for us to make the most of our life. So he said that possessions are meaningless when we don't have the power to enjoy them. Then there's a second thing that you and I need to understand uh, uh, for us to be able to make the most of our lives. And that is in verses 7 through 9. They say that life is meaningless when desire trumps reality. Life is meaningless when desire trumps reality. Instead of letting our appetites roam, you and I need to have self-control. You and I need to control our appetites. Don't waste time longing for what you can never have. I ought not to waste time uh, longing for something that I can never have. And in trying to explain this, Solomon talks about three things and three facts. Let me go one by one. Firstly, he says, we work to eat, but people are never satisfied. Look at verse 7. All of the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Our work or labor does not provide us ultimate satisfaction. Now, Solomon looked at wealth. He looked at family He looked at long life, and now he is examining work for us once again in the book of Ecclesiastes. Our labors in this life cannot satisfy our mouths, much less our souls. And that's why he is saying, all the toil of man is for his mouth, and yet his appetite is not satisfied. Our work, our labor, fails to satisfy our temporal needs, much less our eternal needs. And what a work produces cannot be the ultimate source of satisfaction, whether temporally or eternally. Again, let me say this. As Solomon says it, satisfaction must come from the maker alone. It cannot come from work itself. Some years ago, an enterprising businessman from Singapore, he said this. He said, I'll make $5 million and then I'll quit and then I'll enjoy for the rest of my life. Now, he's made $5 million long back. He's upped the ante up to $25 million. And I'm pretty sure when he's gotten to $25 million, he'll up it even more to $50 million because a human heart can never be satisfied. And Solomon is saying that our appetites can never be satisfied. So he's saying it is better to strive for contentment than to strive for how the world defines success. It is better to strive for contentment than to strive for what the world defines as success, because the latter is a never-ending quest. It's a never-ending quest. Secondly, Solomon says that wisdom and poverty cannot overcome the love of money. Neither wisdom nor poverty even can ever overcome the love of money. Look at verse 8. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself uh, before the living? Now, there could be somebody out there who is saying, well, if you really get back to the small things of life, when you don't have much things to enjoy, and if you really get back to simple life, you can probably enjoy life. 
Now, that is this romantic notion that is available in the world, which, is, which was written by uh, Voltaire in his Candid. Uh, it is that kind of an idea. You know, that says, uh, let's, let's give up all this rat race of enlightenment and let's go back to simple farming of the ground. And because we are living a simple life, we can probably enjoy life. And in that poverty, probably we find the meaning of life. But Solomon blows it apart and he says this, don't you ever think that the poor man can handle this better than the rich man. Because the fact of the matter is, ultimate satisfaction apart from God, is not found in anything, even in a simple life. So wisdom cannot satisfy, or even a simple life cannot satisfy. Whether you have a simple life or a complex life, a simple job or a complex job, ultimate satisfaction does not come from any of these. It must, from, it must come from God alone. And thirdly, Solomon says that wandering desire prevents us from being entirely content. Look at verse 9. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is a vanity and a striving after the wind. Now, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Abolition of Man, uh, has written these words, and listen to these very carefully. I'll explain that as well. For the wise men of old, the cardinal problem of human life was how to confirm the soul to objective reality. Did you hear that? He's saying for people in the olden days... The problem was how to confirm the soul to what is seen around, the objective reality. And the solution they came to was wisdom, self-discipline, and virtue. So by wisdom, self-discipline, and virtue, you could confirm your soul to objective reality outside. Now notice what he is saying. For the modern man, the cardinal problem is how to subdue outside reality to the wishes and desires of man. And the solution is Technique. The solution is technique. We are so overcharged with desire that it is hard for us sometimes to come to simple rest even. Desire is always stronger than satisfaction. Now, Solomon is saying, instead of letting our appetites roam, we should learn to control them. Remember the old English proverb, a bird in hand is better or worth two in the bush. Now, that's what Solomon is saying here. He's saying better is a sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. We can learn to appreciate what we have when we live in humble thankfulness for what God has given us. Benjamin Franklin once said this. He said, contentment makes a poor man rich and discontentment makes a rich man poor. Contentment makes a poor man rich, but discontentment makes a rich man poor. Be content with what you have. I say this to you as I say this to myself honestly. Be content with what you have. Your work, your food, your family. Don't count on what is beyond your reach. What you see with your eyes, you can deal with. But what your soul longs for and desires, we cannot deal with all of that. We need to stop dreaming about what we don't have and be content with what we have. Dreams can give us goals to strive for. But dreams cannot always become reality. They don't fill our stomachs. They don't pay our bills. And they don't make us face reality as well, always. Now, if the advertisements are right, then we have a lot to feel discontent about. Because the way the advertisements describe reality is by saying that it's only by wearing the right kind of clothes, driving the right kind of car, and drinking the right kind of beverage uh, is, is when you find fulfillment in your life. 
But Solomon is saying that in his time, in his day, there were many people he observed who had this lifestyle of discontentment, and he is challenging us to stop seeking for satisfaction outside of God, and is wanting us and challenging us to take an alternative, a life that leads to contentment, a life that leads to contentment. So wandering desire prevents us from being entirely content. So far, we've learned two things from Solomon about how to make the most of our lives. Firstly, he said, possessions are meaningless when you don't have the power to enjoy them. And secondly, he said, life is meaningless when desire trumps reality. Then there's a third thing that Solomon is going to talk about very quickly. And uh, we need to understand that to make the most of our lives. Uh, And that is in verses 10 through 12. They say that God alone is a source of all true contentment. God alone is a source of all true contentment. If we try to fill our hearts with anything besides God, the God of the universe, we find that we are overfed but undernourished. And day by day, hour by hour, month by month, we thin down to a mere outline of a human being and nothing more. And in trying to explain this, Solomon is giving us three things once again. Let's go one by one. The first thing he says is that you and I need to trust in the sovereign plan of God. Verse 10. Whatever has come to be has already been named. And it is known what man is. And that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. Now listen very carefully. Solomon is coming to the end of it. He said, uh, you know, you could have uh, all of the possessions, but that becomes meaningless when you can't enjoy them. You don't have the power to enjoy them. Then he says, be content with what you have. Don't let your desire wander here and there. And finally, he comes and says, you must find your contentment with God. And the first way you and I find our contentment in God is by understanding and trusting in a sovereign God. We must trust in the sovereignty of God. Our lot, whatever it is, has been appointed by the eternal counsel of God, and it cannot be altered. It is therefore our wisdom, it is therefore our responsibility to confirm ourselves to the eternal plan of God as he has revealed it to us. Now notice what Solomon is saying here. He's saying that what has been has already been named. To give a name to something is to analyze its character or to appoint its character. And here in this verse, Solomon is saying man has been named and um, the world has been named as well, which means the character of the world and character of man are settled forever. Life is settled forever. So the preacher here, Solomon, is underlining the impossibility of changing the basic character of life. You cannot change the basic character of life. Now, I think of the police officer um, who was tragically gunned down in the U.S. Uh, I, I forget when it was done, but it just came to my mind as I was preparing the sermon. His name is Charles, uh, Charles Joseph uh, Glinowicz. He was on the brink of retirement after 30 years of public service in law enforcement. And his plan was, after his retirement, he would go back to his four sons and enjoy life with them. But three weeks before he retired, he was gunned down by three assailants who were were with armed weapons. I think of another individual, Carl Atwood, his name is. Uh, He was on the television show, and when he got onto a particular television show that gives its winners a lot of money, the host told this man that on that episode... He won a million dollars. 
And he humbly accepted that particular gift that was given to him, the reward that was given to him, as he play participated in the show. And he was asked this question by a news reporter, what would you do with this million dollars? He said, well, to begin with, I'd change my car, I'd, I'd dispose my old car and get a new one. Two days later, he was crossing the road just to go to a grocery street, and he was trampled, by, trampled under its wheels by a huge truck that was going. I think of uh, Linda, who used to work for a judge. This judge was a very righteous man. He always delivered uh, righteous judgments. And she covered a lot of judgments that he was giving in all of his career. And he said that, I'm going to retire next week. And so she interviewed him. And he also said in the interview that after he retires, he's going to go to his grandchildren, spend a lot of time with them. And he's also going to go and spend some time with Charity organizations. But right the next week, he got to understand from a medical report that he was suffering from a grievous cancer, and just two months later, he passed away. Now, three stories I told you all came to a tragic end, and as we like to call it, before the time actually was. Why do such things happen? Why do such things happen? Why do people work so hard and earn money their whole lives, and then before they get to enjoy it, their life comes to an end? Solomon says here that man cannot escape his limitations, nor can he completely unravel the tragedies in the universe or in the world. If we are unhappy with the things that they are, or as we see them, we cannot argue with God. That's Solomon's point here. There is no sense arguing with God. And this seems to be what the preacher means when he says that you cannot uh, contend with somebody who's stronger than you, one stronger than you. The one stronger than you is God Almighty. If you and I refuse to accept God's will for our lives and we aspire to things that are much greater than what his will has meant for us, then we are contending against God and to contend against God is an impossibility we end up becoming dissatisfied and discontent with our lives. To contend is to add madness to folly, but to submit is to remain secure and is to remain at rest in God himself. So Solomon is saying trust in the sovereign plan of God. Secondly, he says, complaints and arguments lead to further frustration. Look at verse 11. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? You know, there's an Indian proverb. Uh, it's, it's tough to translate that into English, but it sounds very good in the vernaculars. It says, when the mouth opens, all are fools. Right? But the problem is, the mouth opens to tell us that. Here, Solomon is saying that the more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? Talking a lot is one way we try to transcend our limitations. We rationalize, we apologize, we beg, we argue, only to make things worse. And he is saying that even our ability to talk gives human beings no real advantage. And the reason he is giving us is who can out-argue God? There is nobody who can out-argue God because he knows what is in our hearts. Reasoning, complaining, and arguing bring no answer, and they lead to further frustration. And Solomon is basically saying that we can talk back to God all we want. We will just end up frustrated. We will just end up frustrated. So when people complain about circumstances, when people complain about what they're going through, I think you and I must gently point out 
and talk about God's providence and tell them that when they argue with God, they will certainly not win that contest. You can never win a contest by arguing with God. And so, finally, Solomon is coming to the point and saying that God alone determines things pertaining to life. Look at verse 12. For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? Solomon is saying that acceptance of reality is a necessity. You and I must accept the reality as it is around us. Reason is, Solomon says, for who knows what is good for man in life other than God himself? Only God knows what is good for you and what is good for me in my life. And it is God who creates the good things and he blesses each one of us with it. No mortal being is in a position to challenge God on this point. And that's why he says, who can tell him what will happen under the sun after he is gone? No mortal can. You cannot. I cannot. Only God is able to say that. And you and I are weak creatures passing through life like a fleeting shadow is what Solomon says here. And you know, going through a few meaningless days. It is certainly, therefore, not a rational course of action to seek anything other from life than harmony and harmony with God as well. Life lived out in any other manner will bring tears to our eyes and nothing more. And therefore, we must understand that the Lord is the king of all creation. And as a result, everything is under his perfect all-knowing control, nothing, hap- nothing that happens takes him by surprise or causes him to modify his plan. And Solomon is saying that God alone determines things pertaining to life. He alone is the one who determines things pertaining to life. A lot of wisdom from Solomon for this morning, but what's the point of this morning's sermon? If I have to summarize the entire thing in one statement, the whole passage says, find your contentment in God alone. Find your contentment in God alone. We keep looking for that contentment, that satisfaction, that rest in things that we have, in the gifts that we have, in long life, in family, in wealth and all of that. It is an impossibility. And some of us, honestly, even try to find that satisfaction in our education. It is an impossibility. But God who has made us is the only one who can give us that rest. And we find our rest in him. So let me ask you this morning, what about you as you sit and listen to this? Where is your satisfaction found this morning? Is it in going to the right school? Is it in taking up the right job or moving to the right city? Or maybe it's in marrying the right person is what you think. Or having a perfect family. Is it in living a long and a blessed life as we call it? Let me ask you this. Do you, in the midst of everything that is happening in your life this morning, know deep contentment and satisfaction in him alone? And I would challenge you this morning. You can. You can. And there are many who do right in this congregation. Don't try to find your satisfaction in anything other than God, because only in God and in him alone can we find the right kind of rest and satisfaction. And you will find God only through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me bring this all to a close with an illustration. I think that will sum it all up. A professional golfer, and I began with a golfer, let me end with a golfer. 
professional golfer Paul Azinga was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 33. You know, he had won the PGA Tour and 10 other tours as well, made a lot of money. And in his autobiography, he wrote this. A genuine fear came over me. I could die from cancer. Then another reality hit me even harder. I'm going to die eventually anyway, whether from cancer or from something else. It's just a question of when. All of a sudden, everything I had accomplished in golf became meaningless to me, and all I wanted to do was to live. And then he says, I remembered something. I remembered something that Larry Moody, who teaches Bible studies on the PGA Tour, told me once. And this is what he remembered. He said, uh, Paul Azinga, we are not in the land of the living going to the land of dying, but rather we are in the land of the dying going to the land of the living. I think all of us need to remember that. Each one of us needs to remember that this morning. As we are seated here, we are not in the land of dying, uh, going into the land of living. Rather, we are in the land of... I'm sorry, the other way, right? <laughs> rather, missed that. We are not in the land of the living, going to the land of dying, but rather as believers in Christ, we are in the land of uh, the dying, going into the land of the living. Right. So the only way to find meaning in this meaningless world is to live by faith in God alone and find a contentment in God alone. And these are the three things that Solomon says to prove his point. Thank you for your patience, and uh, let's close in prayer. Father, this morning we come into your presence, and we want to thank you for your word from the writings of Solomon. They are pertinent, they are very clear, and they are as uh, relevant to us as this morning's newspaper. We want to thank you that he spoke to us very clearly, that we cannot find a contentment or rest or satisfaction in anything but God alone. You could give us a lot of gifts, but the power to enjoyment as well comes from you. And we cannot take it for granted that just because we have things, we can enjoy them. Even the power to enjoy them ought to come from you. Help us, O Lord, to keep our desires under control and be content with what we have and have a life of contentment in you. And we also want to pray that this morning each one of us would trust in your sovereignty, not contend with you, argue with you to change a reality around us, but submit our lives to the humble reality of the fact that God is sovereign over everything. And mere words would just be vanity. It would just be arguing against somebody who is much stronger than us. And help us also to understand that you have determined and planned out every aspect of our lives. We want to thank you that you are a sovereign God. And we want to thank you that more than that, we have a relationship with you through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are not in the land of the living, going to the land of the dying, but rather we are in the land of the dying, going to the land of the living. And what a great hope we have in Christ Jesus. We pray for the rest of the activities of today, the time of fellowship, the sisters' fellowship and everything, O Lord. May we do every single thing to the glory and the honor of your name. In Jesus' name I pray.